0: This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play via the iHeartRadio app.
1: A lot of hockey being played, and anytime you can give your body an extra day to to heal up and recharge, it's going to be important down the stretch here. It's obviously big for our team. Now it's on us to make sure we respond the right way after a couple days off here, make sure we get the
2: uh, the on-time start tonight and, and get going again. All right, let's make sure Blake Coleman and the Lightning understand the game's at 7 o'clock. They're not going to be listening to the pregame show. <laughs> That's going to begin at 6 on Lightning Power, play with Brian Burns and Kaylee Chelios. I'll have the pregame on at 6.30. Dave Michigan joins me. Steve Versnick here with you. It's Power Lunch. But Dave, all we care about is around 7.08, depending on what time the referee or the linesman elects to drop that puck, and sometimes that annoys Phil Esposito because they like the airtime just as much as some other people, as long as it... You know, the team comes out at 7.08, ready to rock and roll. Uh, I think they're, they're going to take care of business tonight against uh, a wounded Columbus Blue Jackets team. Wow. You know, Dave, it's interesting looking into this game and just reading up on Columbus a bit. Because, again, sometimes we get lost in what's happening with the Lightning and we get so focused with what's happening and we keep our tabs on other teams in the division for sure. And Columbus, I think if you're not paying attention, you're one of those people that are like, you know, John Tortorella team, they play hard. They always play the Lightning pretty well. This is going to be a physical game. And all of that may be true tonight. But then you do a little digging on Columbus and you say, oh wait a minute. They just lost to the Detroit Red Wings back-to-back games over the weekend, and they're three points out of a playoff spot. And... Wait a minute. They're talking about maybe the players are, are kind of tuning out John Tortorell, at least according to Aaron Port's line from the Athletic, who by the way will have on, at twelve forty five, and you say, This is a pretty big mess in Columbus. What are we gonna see tonight at Emily Arena from the opposing team? And it, it just it caught my attention. We know the lightning need to to get back on track, but boy, Dave, the team they're playing. I don't know what to expect from the Columbus Blue Jackets tonight.
0: Well, they've got some lineup changes coming. John Tortorella is putting in a couple of guys at the forward position and a couple of guys on the blue line who either have never played for Columbus before, or haven't played in a while for Columbus. Miko Lettinen, they just got in a trade with the Maple Leafs. He is yet to play a game with Columbus. He's an older player. European-born player. is finished, but the the Maple Leafs got him as a free agent this year. He played nine games for the Leafs, and then he was traded. He's going to make his Columbus debut. Dean Kukin has been more of a regular. He's been out a couple of games. He is coming back in. And then at forward, Liam Foody. And I want to ask Aaron Portsline about Foody because he was really impressive in the playoffs last year, and and he has spent most of the last – month and a half, either on the taxi squad or in the minors. He played the first 11 games of the year, sat for one, played the 12th. That was in early February. He has not been in an NHL game since. And then Zach Dalpy, who's a veteran centerman, a lot of years of pro experience, more at the AHL level than the NHL level, but he has played in Columbus's system for a few years. And he actually played for Torts in Vancouver, the one year that that Tortorella coached in Vancouver. Dalpy is coming in as well. So like when you're the head coach and you have one, or in this case, two straight games that disappointed you, the one thing you can do is make some lineup changes. So Columbus has done that. Here's where I come down on this. Columbus just laid their sticks down on the ice and, and got dominated by Detroit. And by all accounts, they, they were dominated by Detroit. Detroit outshot them. Detroit outplayed them. Detroit won both games in regulation. Not a good showing. The Blue Jackets weren't good at all. But in the four previous games, before they lost two in a row to Detroit, they played four in a row against Carolina, and they went 2-1-1. One, and one. Now, three of the four games went to overtime. They won two and lost one, and then the other game they lost in regulation. But are we just discounting those games? I mean, I'm guessing that they played pretty well in those games. We just saw Carolina. Carolina's a really good team. So is it that they are in a quote-unquote free fall, or is it that they played down to Detroit, which is inexcusable? You should be looking at getting points out of those games and, and pulling yourself up the standings. But if they played at a much higher level against Carolina, I think if you're the Lightning, you should expect that they are going to try and play at a high level against you, which they played down apparently to Detroit, but they played up to the level of Carolina. So we'll see. I, I guess the jury is out for me. We'll, we'll see what, what kind of game Columbus is able to put together tonight. John Cooper was asked about that just a few minutes ago, whether you know he kind of focuses more on – Columbus when you haven't seen the team in a while which is true lighting and blue jackets played back at the beginning of the regular season they haven't seen each other since and and Coop said we're really focused more on our team particularly when you're coming off a couple of games in which they didn't play very well but there is another team on the ice as you often say Greg so I think it's it's going to be informative to see how the Lightning performed tonight, and how the Blue Jackets performed tonight. And maybe their struggles that that were evident in the two Detroit games will continue tonight, but maybe they'll come out and play as well as they did in in the four games against Carolina.
2: And the fact that we're having this conversation and the fact that we don't know what to expect and the fact that they did lose to Detroit this weekend, even though they played pretty well against some better teams earlier, tells me just with... That being said, it's a pretty up-and-down team. It's a pretty average team that maybe on some nights they can play with the best. But maybe in games where they probably should come out with points and win, well, let's face it, the record doesn't lie. You are where you are. The question, I think, too, is, is this an ascending team, Dave? Or is this a team that is starting to sputter? Aaron Portsland, we're going to talk to him about this at 1245, because I think like some teams in this division who are competing for a playoff spot, they do have some interesting decisions to make about which direction they want to go this year. Nashville comes to mind. Columbus comes to mind. Two of the teams that have been talked about when it comes to trading away pieces at the deadline that's coming up on April 12th. Understanding I'm not going to get too into the weeds in terms of which players are uh, possibly trade bait, although we'll touch on that with Aaron coming up in just a little bit, I think it you have to ask yourself a question as an organization and say, is this a playoff team? Am I willing to hold on to some assets that I may lose in the off season to try and win now? And if we do get in, can we do some damage? And I think sometimes we are a reactionary society just in general, I think we wear our emotions on our sleeve with what's happened right away. Sometimes taking that 30,000-foot view, Dave, is the best view to take and kind of take a look at everything and say, all right, this is really what we are. We're not the team that lost two games to the Red Wings. We're not that bad. But maybe we're not as good as Tampa Bay, Carolina, and Florida right now. And I think that's the job of the GM. I think what's a little concerning is, again, if you believe in, you know, kind of what Aaron wrote in his recent article from The Athletic, it's the effort. The effort has been a little up and down. And I guess when you're dealing with John Tortorella teams, Dave, typically effort isn't the issue. Could be talent. I think Columbus has a talent problem. You take a look at their centermen right now, it's, it's a little suspect, and I'm not saying anything that's a little unusual. They've had some trades. They've had some injuries. It's, it's pretty depleted. They've had some guys who have underperformed as well. But I think the one thing about the Tortorella teams we have seen in years past and ones that have been coached here is for the most part, Dave, they do play hard and they do give you an effort. And that's why I was a little shocked to read that article because obviously we didn't see the games against the Red Wings, and say, you know, it just the effort wasn't what it should be, and they were kind of shocked about that. Now, that could be a product of the schedule, too. I think we have to be fair when we're evaluating Columbus, and any team in this crazy schedule. I think we do have to be fair. But it sounds like, in some instances, it's been creeping up a bit more than they would like, and I think that is one of the questions that probably needs to be answered pretty soon for Columbus in terms of how hard um, do they want to be when it comes to playing against another team and is that something that they can get back to tonight? We'll find out.
0: So Aaron has produced a couple of articles within the last couple of days for The Athletic. One of them was touching on the points you just referenced, kind of the, the state of the team right now and coming off those those two losses in Detroit? And what will they show moving forward? The other article was a collaboration with Joe Smith where they investigated the potential trade of David Savard, specifically to the Lightning, which is why he, he teamed up with Joe. I think Savard may be traded at the deadline, and he may go to a team other than the Lightning. I mean, they're... There are points to be made about the the feasibility of the Lightning being able to pull off a trade of that magnitude. What interested me actually more than the actual logistics of what it would take to pry Savard out of Columbus, we talked about this ahead of time, I am not entirely rosy on the prospect of the Lightning being able to pull off a deal like that, so it made me wonder why there was even an article devoted to it. But... I don't choose the articles, and we have complimented Joe quite a bit, and I think he does a fantastic job, and he felt that that was worth it. You exploring. were crazy so, about it, Dave. You're not crazy more, about these More power to talks. him. I just don't, based on what Julian has said, Julian Breespot said dollars out for dollars in, it would take a lot of dollars out to make a David Savard trade work. Having said that, the part that jumped out at me about Aaron's part of the article, because it was like a back and forth, what he said was, If it looks like the Blue Jackets have a chance to make the playoffs, they're going to hold on to David Savard and presumably other guys that they might trade at the deadline. Because, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he basically said that if the Blue Jackets have a chance to get into the playoffs, they don't want to basically be a sacrificial lamb for their first-round opponent. In other words, getting into the playoffs, even if that means that you're going to lose in the first round, is more important than getting assets at the deadline and still eking into the playoffs. You know what I'm saying? So, like, what what I took from that is the Blue Jackets are not going to make trades just to make trades if there is even a chance that they can get into the playoffs. Because for their organization right now where they are, getting into the playoffs is really important. And if they get into the playoffs, they want to give themselves a legitimate shot. So even though you might say the Blue Jackets, the way they're constructed, even if they get into the playoffs, they're going to have a hard time advancing far. Maybe that's true, although in the playoffs, you never know. And we saw what happened in 2019, certainly. The Blue Jackets swept the lightning and gave the Bruins a very good series in the second round. But even if that is true, what I, what I took from Aaron's article with Joe was that it's still important to get into the playoffs and put on a good showing. Which would mean that if there's the possibility still that they could get in to hold on to Savard, have him as one of their guys in the playoffs, and if they lose him for nothing at the end of the year because he's a UFA, so be it. I thought that was really informative that that he said that. You know, you know what I took that? from
2: that, too? You're right. And let's not forget, getting into the playoffs, Dave, in this environment means revenue. Every team needs revenue. I think what I also took from that, I think the Columbus Blue Jackets have an image problem. And you may say, well, what do you mean? I think Aaron alluded to this. They've got a problem keeping stars. Oh, at least over the last few years. Now, some of that... Could just be, you know a guy's not going to stay there, and they want to go, and there's nothing you can do to keep him. But, I mean, whether that's John Tortorella with Pierre-Luc Dubois, Patrick Lane's not working out right now either. Don't know how that's going to shape up. But, again, Aaron mentioned it in the article. Do players, specifically stars, want to stay in Columbus... And if they don't, I even think it's a bigger issue if you're close to the playoffs to try and make it as much as possible to give your fan base something to cheer about. Because if the team's not doing well, Dave, you can always latch on to a few players who are your favorites. And typically, those are the star players, whether that was Panarin, whether that was Duchesne. Seth Jones right now certainly is a marquee guy. Bobrovsky was you know, an elite goaltender for a while. But it appears... At least what Aaron has said, that let's, let's put it this way. Columbus isn't Tampa Bay in terms of a destination for a lot of players. And I think they need to start figuring out, is this a bigger issue? What do we need to do to kind of keep our own guys? And when I say own guys, our star players, guys who are impactful. Because you can only play so hard so often, and I think that gets you to a point. But this is a team that hasn't won a lot of playoff games over the years. They've had some decent teams, but the way you get over that hump is not only playing hard, but locking in some of those star players for an extended period of time, keeping that core in place and say, oh, look, if we lose in the first round here, you know, next year or the year after, we feel like we're pretty good where this talented core is going to rise up and eventually we're going to break through. I, I think they're having some of those problems in Columbus, and I don't know what you do about it. Winning certainly helps, but winning lasts longer when you're able to keep those players rather than get rid of them, and it seems like, according to Aaron, they may be in a, in a bit of a pickle here when it comes to retaining those type of players.
0: I, I guess I'm a little surprised if that is actually happening. And Columbus is a nice place to live. Particularly for players who don't want to go to New York. Now, I think we talked about this when the teams met at the start of the year, start of the, the regular season, Greg. And you were saying, you know, do the Blue Jackets have a problem with keeping guys? And you mentioned Panarin and Bobrovsky. Well, Panarin wanted to go to New York. <laughs> he wanted to play he did. He did. in New York City. Not everybody does. And not everybody can excel in, in a place like New York City. But that was Panarin's choice. And he might have... Felt the same whether he was coming from Columbus or Colorado or St. Louis or Nashville or Carolina. I think he wanted to go play in New York. Matt Duchene really wanted to go to Nashville. He has, I think, some interest in country music. I mean, like he had earned the right to pick his destination. And then Bobrovsky clearly wanted to go to a warm weather city. So I mean, these are specific choices that that players are making, but. If you're the sort of player who does not want to go to, let's say, Montreal or Toronto, which going to a a place like that has its benefits, but it also has its, and I'll use the term drawbacks, because for certain players, being under the microscope like that is not something that you want, right? (laughs) Maybe you want it like Vinny LeCavalier for, for all the years that he was in Tampa all of the times that it, he was rumored to go to Montreal, I mean, it was always kind of understood here in the market. You can talk to Eric Erlinson about this that like, Vinny didn't really want to go to Montreal and and be scrutinized that way. He liked it here in Tampa. So Columbus can be a destination where you can go, you can you can live your life. It's it's a nice city. Ohio State's right there. It's it's a city, but it's not New York. They have. A great fan base. Their fan base is very loyal and dedicated. They Look, I've had some. You're success. You're making a good
2: push for Columbus, and I well, like. No, Columbus I mean, too. I'm just saying. Yeah, I'm like surprised
0: it. that this is this is a thing. You know, now I think Jack Rosolik's pretty happy there. He's from he's from Ohio. He's from the area. He's playing. Yeah, yeah I'm not well talking about guys them. like that. Jeff. Well, Carter, I understand that, but you, you know. know. Uh, so maybe, but but if if what you're like, where there's smoke, there's fire, right? So I mean, you've said it. I guess you know, Aaron has implied it. There have been free agents who have left there. I maybe could Maybe it be is off. winning. Maybe I it is you know yeah. winning a round or two on a regular basis, and then and then that dynamic changes. There was a time not that long ago when you know Tampa was not a a desired destination when the T was missing the playoffs every year. So I mean, these things can can be affected by the the on ice success but i i could see columbus and the sort of the sort of area that columbus is being a destination for some players not all players but you know just like new york is not a destination necessarily for all players and maybe it's not fair
2: maybe maybe my take is completely off i'm just i'm looking at it from the outside looking in and i'm thinking all right they had the series against tampa bay And they had a couple of guys leave, and I think you're right. I think those guys wanted to go, and I'm not sure that there's really much that Columbus could have done to keep them outside of really throwing a lot of money, but you're only restricted to so much you can throw at these guys. If they really want to go, that's their right. I am surprised the after-effects of that. Josh Anderson. Now, whether you quantify him as a star or not, we can we can debate that. I like him a lot as a Pierre player. Pierre-Luc Dubois. He has, had, he has had injury problems, Anderson. He does. Pierre-Luc Dubois. But there were some contract issues with Anderson. Yeah. Dubois, yep. you know, is it is a Tortorella? And I, I guess to put a bow on this, it made it seem like reading the article when it came to Line's article regarding Columbus that I didn't realize tort- Tortorella's in the last year of his contract. <laughs> Yeah. And so when we kind of get into this, are they not playing as hard? Has the message run out? Dave, we always talk about how remarkable it is what John Cooper's been able to do, being the longest tenured coach now in the National Hockey League. His message hasn't been stale. He's found ways to be relevant to that locker room. Is that not happening in Columbus? And if you don't have the work ethic on a John Tortorella team, to me, that's his greatest asset. He gets well, we're going to find out,
0: hard. Greg. Yeah. Well, I, we're going to find out clearly at the end of the year if he's back. But we're going to see the Blue Jackets a lot. Four games between the teams in the next week and a half. So we'll see where and they are. And that'll make her we'll, break. We'll, we'll get a temperature of what the, the pool is feeling like right now <laughs> and and how hard they are competing. And they are getting a string of six straight against playoff teams yep. in the division. It was actually a, a stretch of 12 games and 10 of those 12 were against Carolina, Tampa Bay, and Florida. And the other two were against Detroit, which they lost. The first four they they finished against Carolina and I mentioned 2-1 one, and 1. They're probably coming mm-hmm. out of that first four saying all right, we've done okay. We've got what five out of eight points. Let's go to Detroit. Take care of business there, which they did not do, and then move on for two in Tampa, two in Sunrise, and then two at home against the Lightning, and then they start to see some other teams right after that. But there's no, there's no. This is what I was saying at the, the start of the show, Greg. There's no guarantee that we're going to see the same Blue Jackets team that laid two eggs in Detroit. I would be surprised. I would be surprised too. I would be
2: surprised. Now I, the question
0: I, is, what are we going to see from the Lightning? And and, and that's, I think that. We touched on this yesterday. John Cooper was asked about his choice to have another rest day yesterday. Mm -hmm. Will the team's two consecutive rest days help them rediscover their attention to detail and solid structure enough? Or do they still need that work on the ice? And and Coop basically said, we're a veteran team that – our group has been together. We felt the rest was more important than actually getting on the ice and going through the the steps of reinforcing these these habits that we need to that we need to get back to. And I think we're going to get some answers tonight. See if the like were were a lot of these mistakes that the Lightning are making were they mental, or was it that? bad habits had crept in you know and it could be both right and and that's a gray area yeah but like if you
2: recharge yourself mentally how much will that fix the problem and we're gonna we're gonna get some answers tonight it's a good observation I think the way Cooper handled the last couple of days probably answers our question that it was more mental than physical not to say that there wasn't some physical issues going on there were but were those physical issues because the team wasn't mentally sharp and I think we had started to see signs of that over the last couple of weeks. And Dave, let's face it, too, you know, taking some penalties as much as they have staying in the penalty box.
0: Yeah. You know, a that, lot of that
2: can be attributed to mental fatigue. And
0: maybe. I mean, the numbers are staggering, Greg. You know, an- another interesting stat line to look at tonight and, and the game on Thursday and then the two games next week. The Lightning are on pace to be the, when I say the most penalized team, I'm not talking about just penalty minutes overall i'm talking about number of times shorthanded Mm -hmm. which to me is the much more interesting and informative stat you might have a game where you have a bunch of misconducts and that's going to push your penalty minute total up how many times are you actually going the penalty kill the team that leads the league is vancouver but the lightning have been chomping into vancouver's lead vancouver's played more games so as the lightning are making up games they're making up and I'll call it a deficit. It's not a deficit you want to make up, but they are making up that deficit. And they are they are poised to overtake Vancouver to be the number one team in the entire NHL mm. for most times shorthanded, okay? Columbus has had the least number of shorthanded situations this year. And I remember last year, that was, that's, you think of, Tortorella teams, hardworking, et cetera, et cetera, maybe a little hard-nosed, physical. I think last year they were right down there too in fewest times penalized, leading to shorthanded situations, which is a huge benefit to your team. So the, the penalty kill percentage, the Lightning are ninth. Remember, they were first and second not that long ago. They've dropped to ninth. Columbus is 25th. You might say, boy, their penalty kill really struggled this year. Yeah, it has percentage-wise, but they haven't had to go on the penalty kill as much. And in fact, they've only allowed one power play goal in their last eight games, but they've right. only been shorthanded 14 times in those eight games. That's less than two a game. The Lightning, on the other hand, have allowed at least one power play goal in 11 of their last 13 14 total power play goals again. So in the last 13 games, the Lightning have allowed 14 power play goals. They've allowed 22 all year. So before this rough patch, they had allowed eight. But in the last 13 games, they've allowed 14 power play goals. And in this 13-game span, they have been shorthanded 49 times. Yeah. So again, it's it's less. Columbus, I'm looking at the last eight 14 times short lightning add five more games 13 games you're you're adding how many 35 additional shorthanded situations and that is just unsustainable for the lightning and that is part i i think you're you're absolutely right you hit the nail on the head part of their problem in terms of the goals against and the chances against and even if they're killing off a penalty, you're you're taxing your penalty kill unit. Who's on the penalty kill? Victor Hedman, Blake Coleman, Barkley Goodrow, Anthony Sorelli. Yanni Gord never runs out of energy, so it doesn't seem to affect him as much. Well then you factor but, the
2: stress on the goaltending too.
0: And the stress on time. the goaltending. But you now know? you're now you might say, you know, Coleman and Goodrow, I'm not I'm not singling them out, but let's say their line is a little less impactful. Well maybe Part of that is because they've had to kill so many penalties. They've also actually taken a fair number of penalties, which has hurt the penalty kill. Coleman talked about that. He's like, when I've been taking more penalties like I have been recently, it's usually because I'm not using my legs as much or moving my legs as much. So beyond tonight, that is certainly something the Lightning have to look at in these last 22 games. And let's see if they can get their average down in the last you know, 20 to 22 games here. Let's see if they can get down to one to two. Like Columbus. Columbus has been really helping themselves by not being shorthanded a lot. Remember West the number one power play in the NHL right now? Carolina. The K. Yeah, how do they get through those four games against Carolina? They stay out of the box. That was probably a big part of it.
2: Stay away from Dougie Hamilton, who's a points machine.
0: Yeah, how now. happy is he that the Lightning got called for that late? penalty. He got to keep That's his true. streak alive. He did. He should be, he should be um, treating Marty Natchez to a steak dinner or something like that. that Marty shot. Natchez.
2: Yeah, you're right. You're right about that. Because that kept Hamilton's point it streak did. alive. It's an impressive one.
0: Unless um, he would have gotten a point later, let's say the Hurricanes would have won an overtime or something right. like that. But with four and a half minutes left in the third period of a 3-3 game, Hamilton was still
2: without a point. And then he got he got the assist on the game winning goal. Speaking of defensemen, John Cooper said Eric Chernak is about in the same boat as Ryan McDonough. But McDonough is a little further ahead. So McDonough is still a game or two from returning. He was on the ice today, Dave, working pretty hard to get back. So
0: what's interesting, that's good news, by the way, very good news, because we're going to take the we're going to take the
2: 30,000 foot view like you said, Greg. We are. And you know what that also tells me, too, is that they're not going to rush those defensemen back, nor should they. But I, I, I think it does reinforce that, look, what happened to us more was mental than physical. And, you know, a guy like Borgman and Shen, you would think, are back right in there, Dave. And let's see how they respond. I, I want to see Borgman again. I, I want to see what he's like now that he's got a couple of games consecutively under his belts and he, now he's at home and now you have the second line change. You can match up things. Let's, let's see how these guys perform. But I I think it, uh, it does hammer home that he did feel like mentally they needed more of a break than, you know, physically. So I, I think that's all positive. We don't know who's going to be in net Dave. Uh, It could be Curtis McElhinney. It's, I think still a little unclear, he was uh, the first
0: goalie off at the skate today, which is usually a good it's indication. It's usually a sign. And so, if Vasilevsky is staying out for extra work, it's unlikely that he will be starting. And McElhinney has not played since a week ago Sunday. Correct. Which is so, and again, that is kind of the 30,000-foot yeah, view. Because right? the Lighting have lost two in a row in regulation. It's only the second time this year that they've lost back-to-back games in regulation. And you might say, well, they need to end the losing streak got to play Vasilevsky no they're they're sticking with the schedule that was probably laid out after
2: McElhinney's last start frankly you wonder too if Vasilevsky will even dress tonight we have seen that before yep and he got a lot of work in this morning so it's almost kind of like get your work in and then maybe you, you shut it down like we've seen before so yeah you might be right about that that might be interesting to watch uh tonight as this game Unfolds. If you want to get involved in the conversation, you can at Bolts Radio. And I got some questions coming in that I want to get to, because Aaron's going to come up in about 10 minutes. So we'll break right before we get to him. Uh, Bob's listening to our conversation. Bob, we always appreciate it. He says, starting to think that torts may be the issue and that maybe it's time for a change. Not that he's a bad coach, but the league has changed over the years and, Many high-profile players have come and gone in Columbus. Although, I think, Dave, you brought up the good point. I think at least three specific instances, those guys that we had mentioned who were high-profile players just weren't going to resign in Columbus regardless. Right, and 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 we should point out, Seth Jones did resign. And he is a star. There is is no doubt about it. He is an absolute star. I don't know
0: off the top of my head contract status. He may still be in that restricted range. Where and look, a restricted free agent can sign a longer term deal too. But Jones signed a long term deal. Well, you chat, Greg. I'm gonna I'm gonna look that up. Yes,
2: please. (laughs) You will. I should be able to do two things at once. That's all right. You know, sometimes uh, we have to we have to put down what we're looking at and do something else. Uh, This question came from Al. We're all talking about depth on defense. It occurred to me that unless the Lightning are trying to replace a top-six D-man, they may look at a player like Alex Petrovic or Bogosian type just to give a little security. Possibly a Travis Hamanick in Vancouver. Both are cheap, and both teams may look at tanking Tyler Johnson and a prospect like Barry Boulet. Well, I, look... Well, let me let me just ahead. circle
0: back as I look this circle. up. So Jones came out of his entry-level deal in the 15-16 season and signed a six-year contract. So again, a player coming out of his entry-level deal could sign a bridge. The Lightning liked the bridge contract because it helps them control the costs. The longer-term deal would be beneficial to the team because you lock up the player longer. But you're also having to pay the player more because you're eating up years of unrestricted free agency, which is what has happened with Jones. So he has this year and next year, and then he is going to be an under UFA. Free agent, right? Yeah. Wrensky is behind him in terms of his contract trajectory. But having said that, he also Signed a pretty significant um, by significant not term but money significant second contract at the beginning of the 2019-20 season. That was a three-year bridge deal, but five million per the cap hit is five million. The money changes a little bit, and so he's in year two of that three-year deal, but it's a bridge, so he's still going to be restricted after next year. So I guess the jury. Both guys signed as restricted free agents, but nobody put a gun to Seth Jones's head and said, "You need to sign a six-year deal." Here, he chose to sign for the extra years and and forfeit some free agency years. We'll see what Warenski does after next year, and we'll see if Jones elects to stay after next year.
2: I don't. Have, I have no idea if there's any correlation, but you know, Jones, defenseman, plays hard minutes. I think he gets along with Tortorella. The guys that have gone and moved on, have been forwards. <laughs> you don't play that yeah. 200-foot game for torts. Uh, a little easier to get. Um, you can, Let's put it this way. He he can find guys who he can plug in the lineup that are going to play hard. You know, the Cam Atkinsons, Dave. They, right. Those are the guys. Who, by the done.
0: way, has has a long contract extension. He does. I'm looking at their team right now. He signed through 24-25. And another guy who signed a long-term deal that actually kicks in next yeah. year, but he already signed it, is Bjorkstrand who is, I, I cannot figure out this guy. He plays like a 50-goal score when the Lightning see him. He has an incredible him. shot, doesn't he? He's got an incredible shot, oh. and he just, his his goal totals are, are usually good, and in fact, many times he's actually leading Columbus in goals, but relative to where you would expect him to be based on his talent and how he shows against the Lightning, you would expect his goal total to be well. Look, not in the low 20s, you're which is usually I like where him it lot. is.
2: Yeah, I like him. He a was lot. really
0: good in that playoff series. The Well, both playoff series, actually,
2: but especially tell you one what, in 2019. He's getting paid like a guy, too, that's going to have to perform. I mean, he's got a, a nice contract for himself. But he chose to in. stay. He did. He did. So that,
0: and, now you might say Oliver Bjorkstrand is not Artemi Panarin. Fair enough. Yes. but <laughs> he is still a guy who didn't have to sign a long-term deal. He isn't. And we he don't know if he's to. a
2: star yet. But but my point is, ch- check out the forwards who Tortorella typically gravitates towards, and who have been locked up to decent contracts. Yeah, over the Nick last Foligno,
0: years. who's coming up Nick after Foligno. this year. But,
2: but he has had a contract. Boone for Jenner, a while. you know yeah. Boone Jenner, and you know we take a look at. Um, you know, Patrick Line is another example of a guy who's just... I, I, I didn't like that move one bit, and this isn't revisionist history. I I mean, I, I said, I don't know how Patrick Line is going to fit in with John Tortorella because the knock on Line was that he needed a map in his own zone to figure out where to go coverage-wise. I mean, and, and Max Domi, I, the experiment at center has failed. I'm surprised a little bit with that, not because I think he's an elite player? I don't. I think Max Domi's probably a decent player. But, I mean, his production has dried up pretty quickly. But he was a guy that, I mean, I think they were anticipating would give you at least some offense. I mean, it's yeah. just been a nightmare for him. A nightmare. And so I, I, I think there may be something to it, but I think it's incumbent upon that organization to figure out how can we get those star players and torts yeah, and, on the and same even page if, a bit more.
0: And even if you're going to you make the point that, well, Seth Jones likes torts, and Atkinson likes torts, and Nick Foligno may want to re-sign. He likes torts, and Bjorkstrand clearly has no problem with torts, and maybe Wierenski, too. Wierenski is is a Tortorella fan. There comes a time when it is time for a change, and I think that the Blue Jackets' Jarmo Kekalainen has his finger on the pulse of that. Certainly, that's yes. what the GM is paid to do. Yep. And it's, it's related to things that I think are beyond which players want to stay when they become UFAs and have earned the right to, to move on. And sometimes it's not destination. Sometimes it's money, too. And, you know, the players have earned that right.
2: Absolutely. They're
0: not going to play until they're, they're 50 unless you're Kaylee's dad, right? I mean, yeah, it's very, very rare to see players playing – into their 40s still being productive and still making top dollar. We see a few of them. How about Patrick Marlowe too? I know I'm jumping all over the place. I I didn't realize and I should have. I didn't realize that he's number 2 now all-time in games played and he's about to overtake Gordy Howe. I feel which like goes the- to longevity but also durability cuz he's barely missed any time with injury. I- but just finishing that thought, yeah, you know, the ahead, players the players have a finite amount of time for them to to earn a living as a professional hockey player, as an NHL player. And they've when they become a UFA, they've earned the right, if they want, to go to the team that is going to pay them the most.
2: And Not every said, player
0: does that, but they have earned the right. And that is beyond what might be happening with a coach and how that coach is dealing with a specific team.
2: Marlow, by the way, said again he's open to being traded. I feel like that's starting to become... A little bit more of a sideshow than even Marlowe would anticipate, because he's not been too productive the last couple of years. Yeah, and I think you know he keeps going back to San Jose, and then it's kind of like let's get a ring for Patrick, and you know <laughs> yeah. we, we keep doing this thing over and over again. At well, some they may point, not
0: find a they may not find a taker. Like to... he
2: wasn't good for Pittsburgh. He was he was pretty bad, and they went back to San Jose. And look, Dave, that's his right. I mean, hey, as you just said, he can do whatever he wants. I, I think we have to start looking at this and saying though, all right, does Patrick Marlowe have anything left in the tank? Understanding the guy's played a ton of games and has been yeah. a really productive player, and might be a borderline Hall of Famer. I don't but know that is about that.
0: that is an incredible accomplishment. Assuming I don't want to jinx him, but you know he's within he's within a handful of games of Gordy Howe. I mean he really is. Which you think about the number of years that Gordy Howe played, and now he left and went to the 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 WHA for a few years and then came back like had he stayed in the NHL when he was productive for the Houston team and the WHA and got to play with the sons. You know, I think his record would have been untouchable, but I mean, it's not quite the same as Cal Ripken with his consecutive games in baseball, which is an incredible accomplishment of durability and, and longevity combined. But no what doubt Marlow has done. It's not just the number of years that he's played. It's the fact that he's been able to play virtually every game every year that, is, that has allowed him to get to this point. He can skate. So whether whether he's got a lot left in the tank or not, I still think that that is, that is just an amazing,
2: incredible accomplishment it's for a, him. It's guys, because Phil Kessel comes to mind as somebody who's played not as many, but he, he has a pretty good streak going. It's guys who can skate aren't overly physical but don't take any big hits I mean, you don't see marlo getting hit like ever yeah. you don't see phil kessel get hit too much i mean you could say they avoid contact and you know what there's something to be said for that but i i think they they have an idea they use their speed very well and they're smart and it, it's it's a big reason why i think they are uh going on with that streak and it's um it is something that should be be commended for sure. All right, let's get to Airports line. Well, Greg, hold on, because
0: I interrupted you. You had that question from Al. Can we get to that before we break Um, for Aaron? I don't want to leave out. Yeah,
2: Al, basically, let me scroll down. Twitter feed, Twitter feed. I love Twitter. I love you. (laughs) At (laughs) Bolts Radio. (laughs) You have a love-hate relationship. It it basically, uh, I'm going to summarize here, because it it came in about three hours ago, and uh, it's lost my timeline. Bottom line was, he mentioned a couple of defensemen kind of like the bogosian type he mentioned travis hammock and that's you know are those guys the lightning should be looking at getting giving up understanding you may have to give up a prospect even a, a barboulet or somebody to get somebody like that
0: all right so the the abridged version this is just my sense of the matter i think if the lightning can make the dollars work they are not opposed to trading in addition to somebody that is taking dollars with them so they can bring in a player. In addition to that, I don't think they are philosophically opposed to trading a pick-slash-prospect. I don't think they are opposed to that if, if the deal makes sense. The big issue is, name a player. That player coming in is going to be making a salary. Who are you taking off the roster to to balance the books there.
2: Well, he mentioned... So I, I went back and looked at his tweet. He mentioned Tyler Johnson. I'm going to tell you right now, folks, I don't think anybody's taking Tyler Johnson's contract. I'm just being very fair and very very upfront. If Julian Breezewa gets somebody to do that, Julian Breeswell should be general manager of the year. Not this year, but also for the next five. Because I think that, that takes some Houdini and some... Great negotiating to do. That's that's what that that was the second part. You know, would he take a Tyler Johnson and a Barry Boulay? I think if you up the prospects, maybe. But that's still a lot of term. A lot of salary on a player. You just you don't know what you're getting Yeah, yet, I think. With and I am
0: i don't think the Lightning are crazy about trading a pick or a prospect. I don't think that they want to have to do that. But I think if they feel it's the right player coming back and will help them win another cup, they will do it. Well, let's not forget, Barry Boulay showed very well this year. And the Lightning are expecting to have to say goodbye to some players due to the cap crunch during the offseason. And if they say goodbye to some forwards... Barry Boule could be a guy who would slot in. You would now, I don't know that they're so. looking that far ahead. Yeah, I'm just saying that I think philosophically, the Lightning have shown that if they feel it's the right deal to help them win a Stanley Cup, yep, they will part with pick slash prospects. Maybe not.
2: They've both, done it in the past. One or the other.
0: They have they've, done it in the past. Done in the I the think past. the bigger stumbling block this year
2: is is balancing the cap books. Fair point fair point don't as I say on the show don't get married to prospects just don't it, it, it makes your life a little easier Aaron Portsline from the Athletics up next he's Dave Mishkin I'm Greg lanelli it's Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play this is Power Lunch exclusively on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app Covered a lot of ground in that first segment. A long segment here on Power Lunch. Greg Linnelli with you along with Dave Michigan. Steve Ersnick producing. We're getting set for the game tonight at Amelie, Tampa Bay, and Columbus. 7 o'clock start. Our programming begins at 6. Joining us right now, he covers Columbus for The Athletic. One of the best, Aaron Portsline here on Power Lunch. Aaron, first off, buddy, great to be with you again. And, boy, Columbus three points out of a playoff spot. Isn't much, but after being swept by the Red Wings, does a playoff spot seem further away in your eyes?
1: Well, it's good to be with you guys. I've been saying the last couple of days that this team is three points and an entire galaxy away from the, the playoffs. That's what it feels like. Like it's pretty remarkable when you think, um, you know, all of all of what they've been through this year. But the the other side of that, how Really poorly they've played on the whole. They really haven't sustained much in the way of what you would think of as blue jackets the hockey, given the last few, the way they have played the last few years. With all those things together, the fact that they're three points out is almost comical. Um, but yeah, the, after that weekend in Detroit, those three points—it seems a little ridiculous, frankly—to to even think about those three points because nothing matters unless they can get rid of those games expel them from their memories as soon as possible and get back to playing much much better and sustaining
0: it which they've not shown a capability to do
1: yet this year
0: Aaron I'm just wondering how much of this narrative is tied to this specific weekend that just happened where they lost two games that I mean they're going to look back at these two games no matter what happens and said we left some points on the table for sure yeah and not including the four games prior against Carolina when they got five out of eight points. Like, were they playing better in those four games? You would figure they were to get five yeah. out of eight points against the Hurricanes. Like, how much of this is a temporary dip, or how much of this is more systemic that, that extends beyond even the four games they had against the Hurricanes?
1: Yeah, well, that's a great question. The four games against Carolina – they didn't play well in one of them. They played pretty well in the other three. They played well enough in the other three where you think this this is starting to look like the team that they think they can be. Before the Carolina series, I don't want to cut the season up into too many segments, but their start to the season, they have not looked good. They have had moments. They played really well against Tampa in Columbus, if you remember the, the game after um they made the big trade with dubois that one that didn't make much sense but they played a great game against tampa and i think it was five to two uh they won but on the whole the first 30 games before the carolina series i bet i'd say there's eight to ten where you'd say that they played well there's probably 10 to 15 where they didn't play well at all they've just been kind of all over the place but you felt like it was getting better in that Carolina series, that there was beginning to be a consistency of performance and effort. And so they went into into Detroit thinking, you're not guaranteed points against anybody, but thinking if they apply the, that sort of game to the Red Wings, they could very well get a four-point reward. They should certainly get two or three points out of it. But to just completely get outplayed and outclassed, out-hustled out of everything by Detroit it was so. It's not just two losses. the 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 way that they lost just sets off all sorts of alarms and has a lot of people thinking that that this team has no shot, frankly, to make the playoffs.
2: Aaron, it's one of the worst things that can happen to a team in sports. But do you think the Blue Jackets, in many ways, have stopped playing for John Tortorella?
1: You know that that is um, I it looks like it it does look like it i don't think there's without mincing words yes it it does look like it now i mean i think sometimes we use jargon about those things i'm not talking about you specifically but whenever a team loses three in a row it it's it's always amazes me when the team even when the team is is uh busting their back end and playing hard and they lose some games in a row you know they've turned the coach out and and i don't ever I don't. I've never witnessed a situation where the players in the room say, "Let's not listen to the coach anymore, and let's let's suck and see if we can't get him fired." I've never seen that. But what I think happens is that they get the players get tired of the message, or frankly, they become frustrated with the message, and the message no longer impacts their play. Or, as I think we're witnessing here, Patrick Laine, who is who is you know, let's be honest, he's their star forward now. He is being asked to do something that, if you watch him play, he, it's pretty easy to draw the conclusion he doesn't want to play this way. He is turning the puck over at an unsustainable rate. It is remarkable how many pucks he just skates right into traffic and turns them over without much of a fight to get them back. He's not the only guy not playing well. But when you watch them play the way they played the last couple of games, they don't look like a John Tortorella team in any way. Uh, even when the skill and the high-end scoring and such hasn't been at their disposal, they've always played really hard. Tampa's seen that. You've seen enough of this team to know what this team looks like. They, they usually come out with a work ethic that, frankly, is hard for other teams to match. And when that's not evident in a John Tortorella team, then I think you can say the team's
0: not responding to him, and I think you can say you got big problems. Aaron, I want to ask you about two players specifically, the guy who came over from Winnipeg in addition to Line A, and I know there's been a lot of talk on Line A, but I'm curious about Roslovic, a native of, of the Columbus area, back home. How has he looked and, and fit in? And then the other guy, I was shocked to see that Liam Foodie has spent much of the year in the minors or on the taxi squad because he was so impressive in the playoffs last year, and I think he played the first 11 games of the regular season. What has happened with him? It looks like he's back in the lineup tonight. But Roslovic and Foody specifically. Yeah, so here's Roslovic's situation, and it's, it's sort of,
1: it sort of says volumes about why the Blue Jackets are struggling right now. Here's a kid, Roslevic, who in Winnipeg has a really hard time getting hold of a center spot and has a really hard time finding a home in their top nine. And he gets traded to Columbus, and of course, Dubois is part of that trade, so there goes your number one center from Columbus. And he ends up not not just playing on their top line, but centering the top line. Here's what you've always wanted, kid, and it's been a rough baptism i mean there are nights where you think he can handle it from the red line in a red line forward um he's got great wheels he can fly he's a pretty good puck handler but not great at distributing he sometimes doesn't have his head up surveying the ice as he's skating which is a a real talent that top centers have so he has trouble sort of spreading the puck around and he is a liability defensively i mean the john tortorella system has high demands on the centerman and his struggles have been an issue he dug himself a bit of a hole with the coach in the recent shootout game against the hurricanes where he turned the puck over in overtime and watched as the puck went the other direction if he had been busting tail he very well could have caught Sebastian Aho and broke up the game winning goal. That does not win you any favors with the coach. So they've got a long way to go with him, but there's there's some bright spots to his game. Foodie's an interesting cat where um, you, you can't miss the speed with him. The kid can fly, but not a ton of offensive polish. I think they're hoping to see some of that in the minors, let, let him get comfortable with the puck and be – a difference maker offensively. He is in the lineup tonight at, back in Columbus, or back with the Blue Jackets against the Lightning. So we'll see him. But here is the here is just a little nugget that tells you the transitional phase that this team is in. And frankly, the poor job they've done stocking this roster. This is why they're, they're lagging right now and why it might be a tough few years in Columbus. By calling up Liam Foody now, they have – They have a first-round draft pick that they drafted in their lineup. Before that, the Blue Jackets were the only team, the only NHL team, without a single forward in their lineup that they drafted in the first round. And you can't can't sustain in a small market without making a big hay with those first-round draft picks, especially for a team like this that has struggled to score as much as they have.
2: Aaron, last question for me. It kind of ties into that. Does Columbus, in your opinion, have an image problem when it comes to star players wanting to play there? Or is that a false narrative? Well, it is definitely a narrative. And I think there's some
1: truth to it for sure. I think when you start to lump all of the names together is when you kind of derail your own argument. Um, Artemi Panarin wanted to play in New York City. So that is the case of a player not wanting to be in Columbus but preferring New York. He preferred New York over Chicago too. I think he wanted to be a Ranger no matter what. So make of that as you will. Matt Duchesne was not a player that the Blue Jackets tried to re-sign after that 2019 playoff run. They did not want to re-sign him. They thought the money that, that that player would require would puts him in a number one center bracket, and he's not a number one center given the way that he plays an all-around game. I think Nashville is learning that now. Um, Pierre-Luc clearly didn't want to be here. Sergei Bobrovsky loved it here and would probably still be here if the Blue Jackets were willing to give him $10 million bucks a year. They weren't. Uh, so it's a mixed bag. Um, I think of some of the players who have been through here who loved it here. Rick Nash wanted out of here, but it wasn't because of Columbus, Ohio. It was because of the Columbus Blue Jackets. He's back with the Blue Jackets now. A lot of these guys end up living here. Um, So there are a lot of guys that love it here. There are some players who haven't wanted to be here. But it, it, it deserves a closer look than to say everyone who's left, left because they could get out soon enough. Having said that, it doesn't really matter if it's true or not. If that's your reputation, you have to fix it. And I think there's significant work the Blue Jackets need to do uh, to repair their image and make this a place that players want to be, uh, because if if it was if it's becoming an issue now, it's going to be a bigger issue down the road when they confront the Seth Jones contract situation, the the Zach Wierenski contract situation. Seth Jones is going to be a player whose decision does he want to stay here is really going to measure uh, the temperature of this club.
2: Aaron, outstanding stuff, bud. We appreciate it. Enjoy the game today. Great job on The Athletic as well. The articles have been fantastic, and uh, we'll do it again soon. Thank you, Aaron. All right, guys.
1: Thanks very much for the kind words. Thanks for having
2: me. Talk to you soon. You got it, buddy. Aaron Portsline joining us there on uh, Power Lunch. Some good stuff there, Dave, no doubt. He didn't mince words, did he? No. We'll we'll play some of that, too, during the pregame show tonight. And, of course, you can listen to a rerun of Power Lunch throughout the day. As well, and uh, we always uh, are going to try and provide the best content for you when it comes to Lightning and the NHL. Dave, great job as always, and we'll talk to you down at the rink. Yep, talk to you tonight. You got it. Thanks to Steve Ersnick as well. Great job as always. Thanks to Aaron. I'm Greg Linnelli. Thanks to you for listening. We appreciate it. Continue to listen to Lightning Power Play throughout the day and starting at 6 o'clock right here on Lightning Power Play.